The following audio is from Christian Heritage Church. More information about Christian Heritage Church is available at chctoday.com. This morning we're honored to have Mark Geppert with us. Mark is a missionary to Southeast Asia. He has been laboring there for a number of years and seeing great success. He was here last April. Many of you remember him. And he's come with a fresh word for the, from the throne for us today. Yesterday he spoke at uh, Tallahassee Christian College and Training Center. Joanne, we're glad that you're here this morning as well. Welcome Mark as he comes today. Would you please? God bless you, brother. We're glad you're here. I praise the Lord. It's a great day. We woke up today. We can serve Jesus today. That makes it a great day. Uh, I was remembering the last time I saw you all, those of you who are not new here, but I remember we were all gathered here in the front. We were dedicating our lives to be that person upon whom God can call at any time to call us to pray to change situations. I had just told you a, a story about a dear sister, Mabel, in Beijing, how she was being beaten, how the Lord touched Libby Watson up in Virginia to pray for her. Stirred by that story and the fact that Jesus wants to use us, many of you responded. I'd like to have opportunity after a service, I'll be out in the back. And if you would like to come and tell me how the Lord is waking you up or how the Lord is calling you to follow through in prayer, I'd love to hear it. Every time I come to America, especially during the political season, I am reminded of the foolishness of the minds of men and the fact that the wisdom of the Lord Jesus Christ is the only wisdom that can prevail in this or any nation and cause it to be great. I'm perplexed, perplexed when I look at America over the next few years, and I'll tell you, getting these student-athletes together, getting into these high schools, they're hungry for God. They've had secular humanism until they just about can't stand it anymore because it has no value. And this generation wants value. They're not rebellious, they're just complaining. This way don't work. You're the leaders, find me something that works. So let's take them, the one name at which the devil will bow down. The one name that is above every other name. Doesn't matter whether you're Republican or Democrat, makes no difference. There's still only one name. Doesn't matter which name goes on the White House. The question is, which name is on the throne? And when the name of Jesus is on the throne, that at the mention of the name of Jesus, every knee will bow Above the earth, on the earth, under the earth of things past. The entire future will bow down when you mention that name. Don't be ashamed to mention the name. This is a lifestyle, not a game. Don't be ashamed. Don't be politically correct and talk about God when you're meaning Jesus. God can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. But the name of Jesus Christ. I once worked with a public school in Pennsylvania. I was interviewing the superintendent of schools. I knew he was a Christian. He was a Bible teacher in his church. I said to him, Dr. Knapp, 
how do you choose the people who are going to be on the faculty of your school system? He was the superintendent. He said, it's very easy. He said, everybody wants to work in this district. We pay very well. So I'll get five applications for every position. I'll sort through them. Academically, they're about the same. And nobody writes a negative letter of reference. So I have a stack of these reference letters that this is great. So I call them in for the interviews. I schedule their interview for 11 o'clock in the morning. They come all dressed up, ready to present their very best pitch, why they should be part of this school district. We talk for about 45 minutes, and then I notice, oh, it's time for lunch. So I invite them to join me for lunch at a local restaurant, not in the cafeteria, at a local restaurant. We go into that restaurant, we sit down, I say, go ahead, order whatever you like, and they order whatever it is they want, and then when the food comes, I just say to them, now do you mind if we pray? And if they hesitate, they will never work in this district. The ACLU called after we did that television program. They called the, the high school. They said, we saw it, we have it, we have the tape, we're going to come down and we're going to protest, we're going to shut you down. The principal of the high school in that district said to the ACLU, you interview every, every family in this district. We'll give you the addresses. And if you can find one family who complains about the difference in education in this district, we'll invite you to come. But if you can't get one family to lodge a complaint against us, don't waste my time calling me. Don't waste your money on an attorney. They did it. They took up the challenge. We were very nervous about one very, very humanistic librarian. We thought for sure if they get to her, we're going to get shut down. This is going to be terrible. This will be terrible. And when they interviewed her, and she's a dear friend of mine today, but when they interviewed her, she said, here, come step into the hallway. Before they started talking about Jesus, these hallways looked like Halloween. But since they've started talking about Jesus, the kids have cleaned up, the attitude has changed, the dress has changed, and now we're actually educating young people. Though I do not share common faith with them, I would never complain against the name of Jesus. I want to encourage you. Oh, I want to encourage you. This can be done in the public schools, but it's through believing prayer. It's through intercessory prayer, asking the Lord. You see, the Lord holds the keys to everything, and he will give us the kingdom. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He delights in giving you the kingdom, but he doesn't want it ripped off. He doesn't want it ripped out of his hands. Your heavenly father wants to know the joy. It is his good pleasure to give. Now, I'm a grandfather, five-year-old and a, and a two-year-old. And the five-year-old, when we would go through Target or Toys or Us or anything, he never would say, can I have that, can I have that, can I have that? Never would. Never would. And it's my good pleasure 
to know the things he likes and to give him the things he likes. I love to give. Don't you love to give? It is more blessed to give than to receive. My pleasure. Now the two-year-old, he's learning the word need. Have you have a kid or a, or a grandchild who's learning, Grandpa, I need that. Grandpa, I need that. So the same way I talked with his father, need is a relative term. I don't need lunch. Are we agreed? <laughs> I don't need lunch. Correct? Am I right? Am I right? Or several lunches for a while. We live in abundance. It's our Father's good pleasure to give to us. So I tell him, Rocco, listen, need is a relative term. Now he's just a little kid. He, 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 some say he's not understanding. Well, I'll tell you what he's understanding. Need is not the key word to motivate Grandpa. Because Grandpa knows you already have everything you need. You want something. You want something. Now, my sons got sick and tired of me singing the old Janis Joplin tune, Oh, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes-Benz? My friends all drive Porsche. By the way, did you see that her Porsche is being auctioned off? My friends all drive Porsches. I must make amends. Worked hard all my lifetime. No help from my friends. Oh, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes-Benz? As I have lived through the name it and claim it, grab it from God, demand it as your throne right generation, more often than not, my closing song has sounded like this. Oh, Lord, won't you buy me a night on the town? I'm counting on you, Lord. Please don't let me down. We are a greedy bunch. It's not so much the material things God provides. It's not so much those things that we would like to have. And it's certainly I'm not talking about physical healing and deliverance which the Lord provides. I'm, I'm not in that. You understand? I'm talking about the excess. The scripture tells us that God chastens every son who he receives. That word chastens. We don't like to hear about that. The chastening of the Lord. But if you look up that word in Hebrews, you find out that it means to cut away excess, to trim us down to fighting weight, to keep us fit and nimble. My knees hurt. I'm 67. But the only reason my knees hurt is not the attack of the devil. It's not the work of the enemy. It's not the spirit of hurt your knee. The reason my knees hurt is because my mouth won't close at 1,600 calories. And so my knees are having to carry this 300-pound body around. So I can't blame it on the devil. Sure can't blame it on genetics, though my father was bigger. Excess. Excess. Hypertension, high blood pressure, sugar, diabetes, cancer. There's a dear sister we're praying. She has stage 2 uterine but they can't do a laparoscopy. And they can't cut through her because she's too fat. Think about that. She's too fat to receive medical treatment. 
Now, who put that on there? I'm just saying. You understand? I know I'm meddling. I'm meddling. I'm meddling. I understand that, but I picked on myself first. Come on. We live in excess. We live in abundance. And we say, God, I need this. God, I need that. God, I need this. You don't need it. I don't need it. And in doing that, you know what we do? We take away his good pleasure to give. You want to put a smile on God's face? Ask him. Don't make demands. Let's look together in John chapter 14. We'll let John meddle with you a little bit. Now that I have. <laughs> they say, Pastor Gabriel, you better get back to preaching on prayer. We like you when you preach on prayer, but you start messing with this chastening thing. We're not too good with that, you know. Hallelujah. You have it? John chapter 14. This is in the upper room discourses. These are the last teachings that Jesus gave to his disciples who would become the apostles. This is the last teaching that he gave to them before he was leaving. He said, I'm leaving. And uh, he called them up into the upper room. Now, they had been together nearly three years. If you want to find the basic Christianity teachings, you find those in the Sermon on the Mount in uh, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. 21 principles of the new culture, the words that are going to govern the new culture. And in those preliminary teachings, the key word is father. 19 times in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus says, our father, your father, or the father. The message is father. Knowing that God is our father. Now that makes sense because when you are born again, that means to say that you have received Jesus Christ to as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become sons of God. So God is not an object off on a shelf someplace. God, become, we become joined together with him, shall we say, genetically. We are born into the family. Now, when we are born again, that is to say we are born into the family, then we have a death and burial, don't we? We call that the Romans chapter 6. We bury the old man. So the person who we were is buried with him in baptism that we may be raised together with him. You got it? If you have not yet been water baptized, be about it. Get it done because it's very important. You're dragging a corpse around with you. You want to get rid of that. So we're buried and we come up in newness of life. That means that the spirit of God, the DNA of heaven is now operating through our lives. That's going to change some everything. Huh. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So we're going to start to relate to everything in a new way. So many people pray a prayer and relate in the old way because they don't really know what is the essence, what are the, the behaviors, what is the culture of the new way. But if you read Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, you find 21 principles of the new way. 14 times Jesus says, you say, or it has been said, or you have heard it said. 
but I say. So he takes the norms of the sinning culture, the way of the world, and contradicts them. He says, now in the new day, with the new life that I have given you, with the new family association, so you don't have any genetic illness, because your heavenly father has never been sick. You don't have habits or addictions that were passed down from your grandfather and your father because you have been born again. And your heavenly father never did drugs any day of his life. So the blood that is flowing through you, the, the new life that is flowing in us, is attributed to the attributes, the character, and the nature of God as revealed in Jesus Christ. So then we don't have to live the old way. Oh, my sister called me one day. I love my sister. She's 74 now. She called. She was all shook up. I said, what's up? She said, oh, I went to the doctor. I said, oh, well, that's always good news. What? Well, the doctor took our family history. She, he said, how many children are there? He said, well, there are two living. That would be my sister and me. And we had two older brothers. Well, what did they die from? Well, they both died from cancer-related situations. One was nicked and his stomach burst and he died that way. Horrible death. The other died of brain cancer. What did your father die of? Well, my father died of cancer. She said, Mark, the doctor said, one or, other, one or the other of us is going to die first. I said, you, get, you got two people. You're talking to one, and, and out with all your 99 years of education, titles, and degrees, you come up with a brilliant counsel, one of you will die first. I said, man, that doctor's a genius. I'd pay him double. That, you know, that's a brilliant statement right there. And it'll probably be of cancer. I said, also don't know anything. I said, well, then it'll have to be you. What? She said, what? I said, it'll have to be you. What do you mean it'll have to be me? I said, I'm adopted. I'm adopted. I don't have all your stuff. I'm adopted. She said, what do you mean you're adopted? I said, I got the spirit of adoption that joined me to Jesus Christ, whereby I cry, Abba, Father. I'm born again. I don't have all your trash. She said, well, I'm a believer too. I said, I know you are. She's a good worship leader. She's women's a glow leader. She's an intercessor. She had me baptized in the Holy Ghost. She said, but I've never remembered that. I said, well, dude, at 74, you better start remembering it. Especially with a doctor like that. Like, is that who your health insurance says you got to go to that guy? Because I get away from that guy as fast as I could. One of you will die first. Boy, there's a real comforting word in it. She being the older of the two of us. I'm sure that really picked her up for a day. I mean, they're well-intentioned, you know. But they don't know the Bible. They don't have the understanding. I am a new creation. That old man that was addicted to alcohol and tobacco, that liar, that thief, that cheat, that guy died. He died. And we called a bunch of people together. We buried him. That's why I think New Orleans is such a difficult city. 
Because all those old men from the whole watershed of the Mississippi and the whole watershed of the Missouri River and the whole watershed of the Ohio River, when we empty out that baptismal font, they all go down that drain and go down to where? New Orleans. That's where I see, I tell you, I'm joking now, stay awake with me. Stay awake with me. So then after walking together all these months, Jesus knows that he's going to be crucified. He knows that he's going to go and make a place for us. So he calls them together in the upper room. So then in John chapter 13 through 16 are what we call the upper room discourses. And this is the teaching of Jesus. There's going to be a transition because they've been walking side by side with him all this time. And they've come to love him and he them and they're working it out. But now he's leaving. So he's not going to be physically present with them. And that's quite a transition. But he says, don't worry, I'm going to send the Holy Ghost. I'm going to send the Comforter. And he will be in you. And if you love us and keep our commandments, the Father and I will come and be with you and be in you. So instead of having him by our side, we have him living in our heart. Instead of being with him, we are in him and he is in us. The same way the father is in the son, now the father and the son will live in us. So then my spirit becomes the throne room of the most high God. And my soul, that is my will, my intellect and my emotions, becomes the instrument upon which he plays his love song to the nations. And my body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And I tell you right now, no other ghost is allowed. Want me to say it again so you can write it down so you don't forget it? My spirit, say it with me, my spirit is the throne room of the Most High God. My soul, that is my will, my intellect, and my emotions, are the instrument upon which he plays his love song to the nations. And my body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Every morning, look in the mirror and remind yourself of that. Amen? I'll give you your morning exercise since we're all going to lose weight and get healthier. Good. Join with me. Now, don't muss up your hair too much, but just put your hand on your head. See, this is what I love about the church. You can tell people to come to church, put their hand on their head, and they'll do it. <laughs> put your hand on your head. Say this with me. I am who I am. Because the I am says I am. I am not defined by my gender. I am not defined by my socioeconomic position. I am not defined by what other people say or think about me. I am who I am. Because the I am says I am. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am the head and not the tail. I am above and not beneath. 
No sickness can dwell in my body. I am who I am because the I am says I am. You got it? Every morning in the mirror, I am who I am because the I am says I am. Now for me, then I put my hand on my stomach. And I say, God loves round things. Oh, that's true. God so loved the round or not. So Jesus calls these people together and he's going to give them the instruction before he's leaving. And let's look at it in John chapter 14. He said, let not your heart be troubled. Don't be worried. Don't be worried. Don't allow your heart to be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. You see, in God, we know that he's omnipotent. We know he's omnipresent. We know that he's omniscient. We know that God can do anything, right? But the question is, will he? We know that God heals. That's not our question. Our question is, will he heal me? In God, we see the full potential of goodness. In Christ, we see what he will do. So as Jesus came and walked with these people, he found out, they found out, that it is his will that people be healed. I will be thou healed. It is his will that sins be forgiven. Which is easier to say, be healed or thy sins be forgiven. It is his will for the demons to be cast out. They saw him do it. So they know that Jesus does these things. When they started out, they didn't know. And they watched and they learned, they observed. If you read Matthew 5 through 7, he teaches them the principles. 8 and 9, he takes them out and demonstrates his power. So that they will know, they'll see the works. They know that Jesus multiplied the loaves and the fishes. They know that Jesus spoke to the tempest and it was calm. They know that Jesus called forth Lazarus from the dead. So they have seen what he will do. They know in God, you believe in God. All believe, the demons believe in God and tremble. But in Christ, in Jesus, we see what he will do for me. He said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. We're not so. I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Who prepares the place for you? Who prepares the place for you? When do you enter that place? When you die, when do you die? When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we bury the body. So there is a place for us today in Christ. Amen. The place that he has prepared for us, we can live in today. I got a mansion over the hilltop. Yeah, but I also abide in Christ today, which is he going to tell them in chapter 15. So I have an abode 
an abiding place. Now, it's translated mansion here. The word is abiding place. I've made a place for you to abide. So I am living in Christ. Ooh, just think about that. People say to me, where do you live in Christ? <laughs> I'm in Christ no matter where I, I can be in a train in Siberia. I'm in Christ. I have been in jail in Indonesia. I'm in Christ. Under arrest in the Soviet Union for preaching Christianity. Are you in a cell? No, I'm in Christ. And now you've got an international mess you've got to figure out. Because I am in Christ no matter where I am. You are in Christ. I'm in Christ. Where do you live? In Christ. Now, currently we're in Tallahassee. Tomorrow I get on an airplane. People say, are you in an airplane? I suppose I have to sit in that seat. And then I fly to Pittsburgh. I'm not there long. Then I go to Ohio. Then from Ohio, then I come back to Pittsburgh. Then I go to Hong Kong. Then from Hong Kong, I go to Lhasa, Tibet. Then from Lhasa, Tibet, I go to Kathmandu, Nepal. Then from Kathmandu, Nepal, I go to Delhi, India. Then from Delhi, India, I go to Srinagar in Jammu, Kashmir. That's a lot of places. I don't live in any of them. I live in Christ. In him we live and we move and we have our being. So everything that is relative to our existence is in Jesus Christ. Whew. You can tell I've been teaching at a Bible college, can't you? So we're digging into this one. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. Not to that place. I receive you to myself. So where is the place in myself? I will receive you to myself. He's coming for me. <laughs> Somebody asked me the other day, do you think these are the end times? I said, how old are you? Come on, I'm probably closer to the end times than you are. <laughs> no man knows the day or the hour, friend. No man knows. But I know where I am, I know where I'm living, and nothing is going to change. Amen? And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And uh, Thomas, not everybody picks on Thomas, but Thomas made it the whole way to India with the gospel. So I wouldn't be too, uh, you know, if I haven't got out of my zip code with my faith yet, I'd go real easy on what I had to say about Thomas. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? We don't know the destination. If you don't know the destination, how can you know the way? It's a, one of the Arabic sayings is, if a man doesn't know where he's going, any way will get him there. Think about it. In our lives, if you don't know where you're going, you can wander around in that desert for a long, long time. Until you set your eyes upon the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. And never mind what you left behind. But when you know where you're going, straight is the gate, narrow is the way. You stay right on that pathway. You stay on that highway of holiness. And you walk it. You stay focused. You don't focus on a hocus pocus. You don't get distracted by the noise on your one hand, the noise on your other hand, you stay set your eyes upon Jesus Christ. And you do everything you can with everything he gives you to bring as many with you as you can.
Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Again, the destination is who? who? The Father. The destination is the Father. If you had known me, now here's what he says in verse 7. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Now, here comes Felipe, and I love Philip. I I absolutely enjoy this fellow. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's sufficient for us. Show us a picture of God. (laughs) No man has seen the totality of God and lived. God is so awesome. God, it's not that you can't know him. Of course you can know him. But my goodness gracious, he's a spirit. He's love. He's a consuming fire. Put those three together, a consuming love fire. How are you going to see that? A consuming love fire. Jesus said, have I been with you so long and yet you've not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. My life is lived now 40 years as a missionary. So much for suffering as missionaries. I know I don't look like I'm suffering. That after 40 years, my daily prayer is that the Father may be seen in me. That as I work among the nations, that they may see something, see something that they want, that inside you see there's enough faith in every man to receive jesus christ and as i walk among all these nations uh, my prayer is that when they look they would see something that would draw them to the father this stomach which i really enjoy by the way i have people come up to me most recently In San Pedro, California, about a week and a half ago, we did a music event. We have a a concert. We have uh, five stages, uh, 50 acts, and uh, and, uh, 10,000 people attended this year. And it's fantastic. San Pedro, light at the lighthouse. So I always go over to the biker bar that's across the street from the park we're in just to see how they're doing. It's the Walker family. I don't think the walkers ride Harleys, but the people who come there do. And I always stop in every year to see how they're doing. So picture this. I'm walking down the street, coming to the walkers' biker bar, and the bikers are out there and the thing and the thing. It's California. So it's pretty laid back, you know, nice early evening. And there are five young people there. And our racial mix there is amazing. You have... Africans mixed with Asians, mixed with Latinos, mixed with, I mean, it's a mix. So there's no clear distinction of who's what. So these kids are looking at me and looking at me. And it's one young fellow, I'm going to say 17 years old for a guess. 17. He comes walking up to me, reaches out, he touches it. Oh, man. I said, man, can you feel it? He says, man, I can feel it. What is that? I said, that is the temple of the Holy Ghost. No. Yeah, that is the temple. You're on the front porch, my friend. 
of the temple. Of the, I said, doesn't that feel wonderful? Yeah. Where can I get that? I said, well, you get the fat part of it at Walker's Biker Bar. But, no, this comes from Jesus. This is the love of Jesus. And the other young people, they stopped there like, wow, man. So you can feel it, can't you? I have Buddhist monks. I should just get all the finger handprints on the shirts. Like, I'll walk in Tibet. I'll be up in Tibet in a couple of weeks. And we'll go into these Buddhist monasteries, man. They all want to touch it. They'll keep going, wow. I say, you want to touch it, right? Yeah. Okay, go ahead, touch it. Out of my innermost being is going to flow a river of living water. You come in contact with it, my friend. You're going to lay down all that funky Tibetan stuff, get Jesus Christ in your life. You're going to change and change the world. (laughs) My mother used to say, don't think too highly of yourself. No one else does. Are we at peace in Christ to be touched by the lost? Are we ready to be a yielded vessel that someone might know him? Not just by our words, but by who we are, by who we have living in us, you see. You're the only track that many, many people will ever see. Pray every day that they see the Father. Jesus said, you see me super all this time. You haven't seen the Father? How can that be? How can you say to me now, show us the Father? Now think about this, Felipe. Philip, when they were walking and the crowd was following them and they had not eaten for three days and, they, and they're, they're hungry and there's like 5,000 uh, men and then the women and then the kids and so let's say 12,000 or so people. Jesus turned to Philip and said, How are you going to feed these people? (laughs) I tell you as a missionary, he does that all the time. What is your proposed solution to this problem? (laughs) How are you going to feed these people? Our two sisters who were just here, he asked them, How are you going to feed these people? They had to seek the Lord. They had to hear his will. They had to put together resource. They had to get an entry into the school. They had to do all those steps to feed those people. But it's the same question. How are you going to do this? Felipe said to him, you know, we only have here this little kid, see. He's got these loaves and fishes. Good thing he didn't ask Judas. Judas would have just stolen the loaves and fishes and gone on with it. Philip said, we just have these kids. (laughs) And so the man, Philip, who was going to be a great apostle, had to ask for an offering from a little kid. He had to humble himself to ask this little kid, hey kid, can I use your loaves and fishes? I tell missionaries all the time, get ready to be humbled because you're going to have to ask. You're going to have to ask. Oh, man, the church should do this. Why? Is it so prideful that you can't ask? 
You see, when we ask, we humble ourselves. And pride is our greatest enemy. They say, oh, that church that make you ask. That's good for you. You have to come and ask the leadership. You have to ask the pastor. Then you have to ask the people. Then you have to ask the school district. There's a lot of asking going on, isn't there? And what do you want given to you? Affirmation. You want them to affirm that you've heard from God to do what you want to do. And what is your greatest fear? Rejection. Rejection, that they'll reject you and reject your idea. We wrestle with this, do we not? You see in the Syrian invasion of Europe last week, the Muslim invasion of Europe, all those young men out there, they all got designer clothes on, man. They're wearing the branded stuff. They got their cell phones. There's about a refugee. You kidding me, refugee? I've seen refugees. Refugees don't come with four cell phones and a video camera and a satellite uplink back to headquarters. Are you dreaming? Demanding. 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 That's not asking. That's demanding. They ran into a German, Mrs. Merkel. She's a German in her culture. You don't demand. She just shut the door. Boom. Demand on this for a while till you can prove to me you're a refugee. You see what I'm saying? Asking is something we've lost. Asking. Humbling ourselves before God and before the church and before our brothers and sisters is something we've lost in being trained to claim, demand. We've lost it. The humility. But humility comes before success. Jesus humbled himself, though he was the king of kings. So Felipe says to him, son, excuse me, can we please use these? I think he'll give it back, but I'm not sure. But we just need to feed these people. Can, can he? Yeah, sure. The kid said, yeah, sure. Here. What's that kid doing with all that food? But did his mother give him money? Is she expecting guests? Did he have to go to the market and pick up those loaves and fishes? Little boys don't run around with loaves and fishes. That little kid risked everything to put those loaves and fishes in the hands of Jesus Christ. He risked it all. At least a good backside tanning. And he handed it over. Jesus blessed it, broke it, distributed it, right? Philip watched it happen, helped hand out the baskets. And when they came back, they had how many baskets full? Yeah, see, and people teach one for each disciple. Greedy, greedy, greedy. What about the kid? What about the one who gave? Oh, yeah, this was for the 12 disciples. I'll tell you, Judas didn't get one. Mm Mm-mm. 
you steal from God, you're out. And here in this chapter 14, he left in chapter 13 for the 30 pieces of silver. Jesus didn't need one. I think he double-blessed the little kid personally. Personally. And where did the baskets come from? Twelve baskets. Where did they come from? So... (laughs) Jesus turns to Felipe and he says, hey, have I been with you so long you haven't seen the Father? You don't understand this? And then he goes on to say, verse 10, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Look at this compound sentence. This is a crazy compound sentence. It starts out talking about words, and it ends up talking about works. Grammatically, this is horrendous. You can't start a sentence talking about words and end up the same sentence talking about works unless your words and your works are the same. Then you can't. And Jesus said to him, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Because his word and his works are the same. There are 6,500 promises in this book to prosper you. 6,500 words, which means there are 6,500 works to back them up. God will do everything for his children. God will never be the debtor to another father to say that they treated their children better than he treated his. Never happened. Never happened. No father will ever stand before God and say, I took care of my kids better than you took care of yours. I was doing a television program in Pittsburgh by cable. We were all over the world, 35 million houses, and, and we're doing this program. And there was a dear uh, a lady from uh, New Covenant, Covenant Church of Pittsburgh, Pastor Joseph Garlington is a pastor there. And she's an intercessor, African-American lady. And I had to interview several people in this program. It was a 90-minute program. I interviewed a guy that built a church with no debt interviewed somebody who taught how to do some kind of recipe. We did the food thing. Interviewed the singer that sang the special music, you know. And the time, we just have a little bit of time left. And and this sister, I said to her in the green room, what is it you do? So I could talk to her about it. And she said, I pray. That's all she said. How are you going to do it? I pray. Well, how are you going to work with that in live television? I pray. So, okay, all right. So we're coming down to the end of time on the program, right? And so I say to the lady, oh, sister, it's so good to have you with us. And we're so glad. I love that music. That was the group, blah, 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 plug their mute. And then I said, it's so good of you to be here. And, uh, and what is it that you do in the church? She said, I pray. Well, do you have a room for prayer? She's frozen with the camera. The Lord bailed me out. I said, well, you must have grandchildren. How do you pray for your grandchildren? She started talking about her grandchildren. And I looked at the floor manager to find out how many seconds do I have left. 
And what do I have to fill to get out of this program and end on time? Because the 700 Club was coming up and you do not carry over into their time. So she's going and going and going. And so the, from the prayer request room, where we have a, on the side studio, the prayer th- center, here comes uh, Tom Hollitz was a, that, there that night. He was the head of the prayer thing. And he brought me this pink slip that is a prayer request. And so he handed in, you know, the camera's on her, so I'm over here and get this. Then they come back over here, and then they put the camera on the two-shot. And then I said, excuse me, excuse me. We have just received this prayer request. And I wonder if you would pray for this need. Well, brother, I could pray. I said, okay. This request has come from Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh. There is a child there who has just passed away. Uh, They've taken away the machines. And they're asking for prayer for the family. She took that slip, held it in those hands. I'll never forget those. Held it in those hands. And she said this. Father, if I could do for this child what you can do for this child, I would do it. That was it. I'm figuring I got 30 seconds of prayer at least to get out of this program, right? I'm saying, that's it, that's it. That's all she said. Father, if I could do for this child what you could do for this child, I would do it. Hand me back the paper. So I said, well, you know, it's been very good to have you with us. And And here comes Tom running with a blue paper, which means it's a testimony At the time she prayed, that child was raised from the dead. That child came back to life and did not have the illness that had put it in the hospital in the first place. All that happened in about 90 seconds. Father, if I could do for that child what you could do for that child, I would do it. Does she know her heavenly father? Does she understand his nature? Does she understand that he gave his only begotten son to purchase a way for us to be the way to come to the Father? Does she have a full understanding of that? Absolutely. Then Jesus said this, most assuredly, I say to you, do you see it there? Verse uh, 12, please. Most assuredly, you know why we put these up on the screen, right? These are for the people who said, unless I see it written on the wall, I am not going to believe it. Well, here you go. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. This is Jesus' definition of a true believer. A true believer is preoccupied or addicted to the works of God. Addicted. You don't have to spoon feed them the Bible because they consume it. You don't have to encourage them, come, let us worship. Come on, let us worship. Crank up this worship. They're worshiping 24 7. You don't have to encourage them to a special prayer meeting or a special prayer time because they're praying constantly. A true believer is focused on and doing the works that Jesus did. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And 
Greater works than these will he do because I go to my father. Greater works. Greater works. Now, you can tell I enjoy the feeding of the 5,000 and we're coming to lunchtime. I enjoy anything that has to do with food at this point of the day. Jesus fed, let's say, 12,000 on that occasion. In October, we are putting nine cargo containers in locations in Cambodia among impoverished children who do not have food. Very much like you, this, that this really touched my heart today, this feeding these kids. This is vital. Feeding these kids is vital. And each one of those containers, nine containers, has 1,050,000 prepared, prepackaged meals in it. We are going to feed, by God's grace, 9,450,000 meals. Now, now how, I don't care how you compare that to 12,000. It's a greater work. It's a greater work. How can we do that? Because I got the key. I got the key. I got the key. I want to give you the key right now to the greater works. How many of you want to do greater works? How many of us want to do the works of God? Cast out the demons, heal the sick, cleanse the leper, make the blind eyes see, forgive sin. Raise people from the dead. How many want to do that? Christianity is not a spectator sport. I give you the key. You want the key? I'll give you the key. I got this key. I got this. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also in greater works than these will he do because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask, ask. Humility is the key to ministry. Humility is the foundation stone for the miraculous. The realization that this power is not of us. This is power that dwells in us. Humility, humbling ourselves before God and saying, Father, Father, Father. The declaration of relationship the celebration of relationship, the humility that it is not my faith, it is his presence. It is not my knowledge, my grandeur, my promotion. It's not of me, it is of him. Humility is the foundation stone for successful ministry. And whoever, whatever, 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 say whatever, whatever you ask, Whatever, that's a lot of things, isn't it? Whatever you ask, whatever, whatever you ask, in my name. Now, this is in the context of the greater works. So let's contextualize this. This is in the context of doing the works of God and greater works than these. This is not in the, oh, Lord, will you buy me a Mercedes-Benz range? This is in the context of doing the works of God. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. 
Ask, give. Ask, give. When we claim, demand, exhort, extort by our offering, when we try to move the arm of God through any manipulative formula, we will find more often than not that prayer is not answered. People claim and then go to the bank and get the money and end up deeply in debt. Deeply in debt. And then they write the newsletter God has provided. Deeply in debt. Anything you need for the greater works you ask. And he will give it. He will do it. Look at this. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Ask. 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 It's so counterculture for us to humble ourselves. It's so counterculture. Our flesh cries out. I am somebody. I am important. If you can tell God what to do and he does it, then we should worship you. Because you got the Elohim on a yo-yo string. And in your thinking, you're making him a yo-yo on a string. Or Jesus on the dashboard. But when we humble ourselves, we say, I deserved hell. I earned hell. I lived for hell. That's what I deserve. And everything else is by grace. I have been arrested in China and put out of China three times. At one two-year season, I was a person non grata in China. Earlier last year, I was approached by the Central Committee of the Communist Party, the People's Republic of China. They said, we have a problem. Do you think you can help us with it? I said, what, what's the problem? They said, we have 15 million children with autism. Would you be able to put together a certification, a standard for the, prince, the, the, the uh, protocols and practices that we could use in our entire nation for every teacher, every doctor, and every family that deals with a child of autism? Would you set that standard for us? <laughs> I said, <laughs> my condition remains the same. Can I tell them about Jesus? If I can tell them about Jesus, and I can speak to the Spirit first, and I can train your people in the name of Jesus, I think we can help you. They had a big meeting. The son of Deng Xiaoping, the great reformer, is the head of the 
Handicap Association of People's Republic of China. Crippled in his legs. He had heard about us from the healing of hearts in Tibet years before. And he said, yes. And the wife of the president of the People's Republic of China came and visited our facility and said, yes. And so now we have been invited. Your humble servant has been invited. I don't have a degree in education. I don't know anything about autistic children and I can't even spell autism right. And I think probably when I was a kid, I would have fitted somewhere in the spectrum. A man who was despised and rejected, arrested and deported, now invited back as a VIP to set the standards in the People's Republic of China. I say, God, what are you doing? I'm retired. What are you doing? 40 years already. This is huge. What are you doing? And he said, don't you know that verse? Ask of me and I will give you the nations. I said, Lord, the BRC is the biggest nation in the world. What's it to God? What's it to God? In my world, the most difficult thing to learn was to humble myself and say, God, would you please do this? And when that lady said, Father, if I could do for this child what you can do for this child, I would do it. My jaw dropped. When that blue slip came in and that baby had been restored to life, my jaw dropped. And I said, I had absolutely nothing to do with this. I'm trying to get this woman off the camera so we could close the program. I got My mind was anywhere but within agreement with that lady. And his child's alive. You want to do greater works? Do you want to do greater works? Do you want your life every day to count in greater works for God? If you do, please stand with me and we're going to worship. We're going to close today with just, just worshiping Jesus Christ. Pastor, would you come and lead us, please? And, and listen, this is a great church. You're a great people. This is my second time here. I get so excited to come that I'm more excited when I go for having looked at all your faces. I just appreciate you very much. God bless you. Let's worship him. And in this song and in our hearts, let's say, Lord, if you can use anyone, Lord, you can use me. Take my heart. Take my hands. Use me, Lord, for your glory, for your name, for your honor, O oh God use me if you can use anyone Lord you can use me God bless you thank you for listening to audio from Christian Heritage Church located in Tallahassee Florida feel free to give copies of this message to others but do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission For more information about Christian Heritage Church, please visit us online at chctoday.com. 